Hi, I'm Dan Higginson, and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Idle Hand Society podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. I'm joined today by the love child of Tom Jones and Tina Turner. It's my good friend, Paul Bentz. Simply the best. Thank you. <laughs> those that know. Those that know. <laughs> We're also joined by a photographer, philosopher, filmmaker, and beautiful soul, Sean Tucker. Um, you're an incredibly open and honest guy, and we've actually been sat here worrying for the last couple of weeks about chatting to you, trying to make sure that we don't have you just repeating lots of stuff that you've already said. Is there a topic that you secretly hope that people would bring up when they talk to you? It's a good question. It's a great question for an interview because then you get to the other stuff. So yeah, I, I can't think of one. I'm trying to think. Um, no. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I could make something up. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't make it up. Don't make it up. No, what no. do you do to unwind, mate? Like, because you seem. I, I, I don't know how much free time you you give yourself in your really busy schedule between. All of the stuff you're doing photography wise, you've just, you've just written a book that's coming out and, and I'm sure we'll get onto that. You do all your filmmaking and stuff. I just, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around what, what you do to, to unwind. It feels like you must always be on. You know, what? it's, it's lovely. You think I'm busy. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm like, I kind of, I'm so lucky. Like I've, I've sort of got my life structured now that all I really need to do is make, I only promise one video a month on my channel. I usually do two. So I just need to make two videos a month. And then I need to go out and take photos of myself so that I can sell a book of photography at the beginning of every year. And the book that I wrote just came at the right time. I had that thing like sketched out for a while. And then a US publisher came to me just before lockdown. So like it was the perfect time. You know, we kind of knew lockdown was coming, but it hadn't yet hit. Um, and then I, they kind of said, well, do you, do you want to do a book? And I had these like bullet points. I had a whole structure to the thing and I just couldn't find the time to sit down and do it. Lockdown hit and I could just plug away an hour a day at least. And that kind of got done. But my day to day now is literally two videos a month and some photographs to sell in a book. And, and I can keep my head above water. And I know how lucky I am with that because I mean, I remember when I was working full time for companies doing like, you know, shitty product photography of sofas and beds and that kind of thing. Mm. And then trying to fit in all that stuff that I love doing on the side, all the day job stuff has been stripped out and I just get to do that stuff I love and get to let it breathe and do it properly is like a really privileged position, I think. So I'm a lot less busy than I was and a lot happier because I just get to do the stuff I like. But you asked about unwinding. Um, I love a walk. I think it's the biggest thing for me. Just a long walk is is like... That's headspace stuff for me, you know, and I, and I usually go um, with headphones and I will either listen to, I'm a big podcast guy, so I'll listen to a lot of podcasts um, and uh, ambient soundtrack stuff. So like um, uh, either like ambient chill stuff or, or movie soundtracks, like those kind of things, especially for like, you know, I can walk through the Yorkshire forest convincing myself I'm, Aragorn in Lord of the Rings or something. It's it's pretty <laughs> relaxing. So it's, stuff like, it's good. Is like Lord any, of the Rings one of the favourite ones for the forest? Yeah, well, I mean, for everybody, surely. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> everyone wants to be an elf. Um, like, I, I, I feel like anytime things are getting on top for me, uh, and I'm, I'm, we all feel it. Like, we all get this kind of, like, emotional um, anxiety that kind of bubbles up in us, and I feel like, that only ever bubbles up because we haven't taken time 
to be alone by ourselves, to think things through and decompress, even if we're not trying to find a solution, just to let our brains go into autopilot. Because if we get out of our conscious mind and let so slip into that subconscious mind, our brains often able to find solutions to big life problems anyway. And I find taking a walk, listening to stuff, switching into that subconscious spaces, that's where I kind of get some of my recharge back. Yeah. Do you have a fairly structured meditation practice? You strike me as the kind of guy that, that might do. I, I do, but it's not... Um, I mean, obviously, because I came out of the church, uh, working for the church for a decade. So I kind of walk away from uh, anything that feels too structured in terms of like, I mean, obviously, I left behind the kind of the structured religious side of my life. But but even now, you know, I, I've looked into getting into TM or anything like that. But I just I don't I don't want to give myself another legalistic thing I have to do because it feels like stepping back into that old world for me. So I'm just very, I mean, walking is my meditation. If, if, if you want to know the truth, that's the time where, and I, and I don't, I think all of this stuff is the same. You know, what I used to do in the church, what TM does, what, what Buddhism does, what mindfulness does, what all these things, it's all just the same stuff, really. It's, it's, uh, it's quieting the mind, slipping down to a level where we're not just focusing on the to-do list and the busy calendar. We're allowing our mind to process the stuff that's happened and, and get us to a better place, which is better doing than we are if we're driving it consciously. So making sure that I go on long walks um, is a big one. I mean, I've just moved up to York, uh, Yorkshire. And uh, for the first couple of months, I was living in York itself in an Airbnb at a pretty crappy time of my life. You know, my, my wife had left back in January. I'm moving house, but I'm now moving on my own. I'm having to establish myself in a new place where I don't know anybody. I'm stuck in an Airbnb waiting for a house to be built. Like I felt all that like internal stress, like, geez, my life is a bit of a, a bit of a mess. And I feel like really stuck in between. So I was really deliberate about, it. I had to go for at least a half hour walk every single day. Cause I knew if I didn't, I knew if I sat in my house, staring at the wall, trying to think through my problems and stress about them it would only get worse. So that became my like deliberate practice. Yeah. Did you take do you take your camera out during that time, Sean? Did you like go out and walk yeah. with you when you were going through the troubles at home? And do, do you think do you think you're more like I always find when I'm when I've had an argument with a wife, it kind of tends to make me uh, I don't know what's the word, but uh, insular, maybe anxious. And then if I just go out with my camera and go for a walk, it feels like you're right. You're processing that information, but but did you find? Do you find you're more, you're more, I suppose, more creative is, is what I was saying in, in that or less creative in those times of like high stress in your life? Where... I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't get, I don't suddenly get a better hit rate. I, I always do walk around with the camera. Yeah. And I do take photographs while I'm listening to stuff, but that's almost just to give myself something to do. So I'm not, Gosh, it's getting like very esoteric, but something to do. So I'm not trying to take control of my mind or direct it too much. You know, I'm just kind of letting it run. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, sometimes I come home with some nice shots. Sometimes I come home with nothing, but that's kind of not the point. Um, it's, it's to take that time and space for myself is, is the important thing. But I mean, that's the same as any time I go out to shoot. Maybe I'm, I'm in a really good headspace on a particular day, but want to go out and deliberately take photographs. Sometimes I come back with some, sometimes I come back with nothing. It's kind of the same, you know. You just kind of find a process cathartic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I can relate to that. 
Paul, did you ever try that walking meditation stuff that I sent you? You know what? I did. I did. I did. How did you get on with that? For a bit. I I went with it with a bit. It just, uh, to be honest, I like listening to like the sound of the walk. I like listening to the birds Mm. or the traffic or people having a conversation. I think I like to be like present in in the space and I. it kind of made me, again, it made me a bit trippy. It was like, whoa. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit overwhelming in parts. And I thought, go take the headphones off for a minute. You know, it just, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird sensation. Difficult to describe. I wonder if Josh tried it. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. I, did you, do you think it changed what you were seeing at all? Um, did it make you more present? You know, I... I I, I think I go through phases of being hyper creative and then being not creative at all. And I don't think I have a middle ground. It's either I, I can go like at it and be really enthusiastic and, and I can feel when I feel I'm in this kind of, it's not, not as zone is the wrong word, but when I feel I'm being productive, I kind of, I run with that. I go with that because I think there's times when I know I'm not productive. And, and, and I think you've got to take advantage of those moments when you're, you feel you're at your maximum creative at moments, I suppose. And I just, yeah, it's, it's weird. But I, I, and I know like I can go out, like Sean says, and you can, I can walk for miles and not see a single picture some days, you know, but it's weird. I, but I, I think I'm much more attuned at noticing when I'm in that mood to create. It feels, it feels different. I feel something, the serotonin, whatever the chemical reaction in my brain is. But like, the, like we've been talking about this project that I shot a while back and you got me to revisit it. Um, but since I have, like, I, you know, I've been out every single day for a couple of hours every day. And that's not like me. I don't really, I don't usually go every day. I get, and it's been hot this week, but I really forced myself to just, you know, cause I can feel it. I can feel that I'm out there and the pictures are happening. And I'm going, okay, this is good. This is good. Mm. It's, that's all right. That's, and, and, and I suppose it's, 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 it's taking advantage of, and knowing in yourself when you're at those moments of, High creativity, if that's the right phrase, um, I think is important. But you know, like like anybody, and just sort of forgiving yourself when you're not, right? Yeah, I think that's because you. I think we're all quite hard on ourselves when you know you should. You know, God, everybody, you, you look on Instagram. Everybody's been out for twenty four hours every day for seven days a week, right? You know, it's like <laughs> God, how are they shooting so much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. What about what's you? Your, Dan? What's your practice, Dan? Um, my meditation practice. Hmm. It's just kind of fairly bog standard mindfulness stuff, to be honest with you. I try and do 10 or 20 minutes in the morning. And then particularly when I'm moving from task to task or from place to place, I I try and sort of find a moment to be present while I'm sort of swapping between things. But that's that's kind of it. It feels really underwhelming. I I wish I could do more. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd really love to go on like an intensive retreat for a month or something and just not talk to anyone. But I, I don't know. I, I, I guess 10 minutes is better than nothing, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's probably 10 minutes more than, than some people manage to get, but it's, it's nothing to write home about. But yeah, I was just really interested because you seem like a, like a really present guy. You seem to have done a lot of thinking. You seem to have done a lot of exploring. And I just wondered whether or not that was something that you were into. Do you think that's all from your time with the church? Yeah. I have to give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, it, it I mean, and I, I went to church with my family. None of my family have ever gone to church. They're, they're sort of staunch atheists. So I was really kind of out on a limb on my own. Uh, and they, they just assumed I'd been brainwashed. My mom used to tell me, don't worry, you'll get over it, kind of thing. But I think the one thing it did force me to do was 
you know, we were, we were taught to have a quiet time every day to set aside, um, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes a day to sit down and either read your Bible or journal something or pray or something. And, and just that practice of, of, of regularly creating space, even though I don't do it the same now, obviously, um, has stuck with me to make sure you sort of carve out these, these little pockets of time for yourself. Um, and I mean, I, I think anytime you get intentional about that kind of thing, no matter what kind of label you're putting on it or, or what spiritual branch you're a part of, or, or even if it's not spiritual for you, it's just a psychological practice, it doesn't matter. It's all the same stuff. It leads to the same good things, you know, um, being able to bring yourself back to the important things, be able to put things that you felt very strongly in the day into better perspective and, and sort of take the emotional edge off them and, and think your way through them better and ground yourself again, I think is, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. So I have to, I probably have to give church credit for starting that kind of habit for me. Do you think that's one of the things that sort of enticed you into into that world when you had a family of staunch atheists? Honestly, I think I think it was more to do with the fact that uh, my dad left home when I was very young, maybe when I was uh, four years old. And uh, I mean, at that age, obviously, I don't remember much, but he was apparently my my hero. And I think that left a big hole for a, for a four year old kid. Um, and so I was on the constant lookout for surrogate dads. And so when I went to it initially, I think it probably started when I went to a boarding school in Shropshire and, right. um, uh, I just started helping out in the chapel there because the priest was kind to me. He, he sort of, uh, looked out for me, you know, took me under his wing and, um, you know, would listen, would listen because, you know, I, I got bullied. So he'd listen about that and he'd, he'd, he'd help out or, or just encourage me. And that was like really attractive. And I think that's what started me getting involved with the church. And then as things progressed, yeah, it was just different. Even through teenage years, you know, I moved to South Africa and went to a Baptist school and there was, there were a, a couple of people who were involved sort of leading the student Christian association there that ended up being sort of surrogate father figures as well. So it was initially that, I think, and then I kind of got addicted to the way that I could do that for other people then. So most of my time working for churches were uh, working for 35-year-olds and under. So I was, I was mostly a youth pastor. So it was a lot of youth work and work in the community and outreach and that kind of thing. And I, I just loved that I could pass that on to other people. So that became like I really felt like I was doing some good. Um, I mean, by the time I started working for church, I think, I'd already realized that a lot of this stuff I didn't buy 100% anymore, but I just kind of shelved it because there was a lot of good I could get done. So I think that's where it came from. Do you still keep in touch with those guys, some of those the, early father figures? Um, well, I made a film actually, uh, probably about three years ago now. It's on my YouTube channel where I went back to South Africa and shot portraits with three of those mentor figures. Um, in my life and those uh, at least two of them i keep up with with regularly the other one not so much but yeah they're they're still around and you know anytime i go back to south africa i'll, I'll definitely go visit them and hang out and catch up obviously it's a bit difficult over dif over distance but yeah do you miss that life do you miss that that world i miss things about it like i re i really miss um I miss the community and i think that's why a lot of people join churches actually is because it's community on a plate and uh, it's like it's like friends you don't have to work to get. You know what I mean? Because you've got to be nice to each other. So let's just you know I can't really make many friends. So let me go to the church because they have to be my mates. 
was that that was great. I, I mean, you really felt like cared for, and you had all these people around you. But it's a double-edged sword because, I mean, you know, the minute I started standing up and saying, look, I think we're kind of full of shit about a lot of this stuff, I lost that community overnight. They turned on me. So I lost my job and my friends and my community and everything all at once. So I miss it, but it wasn't real either. It was super conditional. So um, I realized some of that's a little bit of a mirage. And then I, I suppose I miss I miss teaching and speaking. Like, I think that's, in all honesty, that's kind of why I started a YouTube channel because I wanted to go back to to talking to people and encouraging people and trying to get them to think about their lives a bit more. It was, I mean, honestly, photography is a little bit of a Trojan horse on my channel. It's, it's not really what I care about, even though I love photography. I care about the deeper life stuff I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Photography is just how I'm getting it in the door, you know? So, do you know, what? I was actually going to ask you about that because you do have, you play a similar trick that we play, right? Every time you talk about any of these things, you apply it to lots of different disciplines. Yeah. And I've heard, I've only noticed it because over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of gone back and watched a lot of the stuff on your YouTube channel again. And I, I noticed you have that same verbal tick, that kind of, if you're a painter, if you're a photographer, if mm-hmm. you're, and you, you kind of, you lay that out almost every time you, you apply one of these things. And it's almost like a big flashing light beacon to the people that want to hear it of like, yeah by the way guys there's more there's more here if you want to explore that's something that i I think we've recently learned ourselves like myself and paul particularly through talking to some people like painters and stuff like that that actually there's there's tons of lessons that you can just pick up from other places yeah i mean i i did that consciously as well because i know because obviously i get feedback from people who watch the channel as well um and a lot of people do get hold of me and say listen i'm 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 not a photographer. It's not why I follow you. So I know they're in there. So when I make those videos that are about more general things, I feel like I do have to remind people at every stage, like there is another audience here and maybe that's you and you're as welcome. And when I make a video like this, this is talking to you as much as anybody else, even though ostensibly it says somewhere that this photography it's, it's loosely a photography channel. I mean, if you, if you just hit that, because I've got separate playlists on that channel, if you hit that philosophical playlist, it's for everybody. It's not for photographers. Yeah. I think that's the one I was in. Yeah. I, right. I, I, I really love a lot that you've got to say on that subject. I find that really, really interesting because I, I share your oh, interest cool. in Stoic philosophy and, and all that kind of stuff as well, particularly the way you lay them out. You're incredibly eloquent. And just hearing you speak now, I almost... I didn't want to believe this is genuinely what you sounded like because you, you speak in fully formed prose and it's, he's like, he's, it's he's kind like of a nice. <laughs> yeah, a little he's bit a like too. He's a romance too. Yeah. <laughs> romance even worse because romance French is not even his first language and he speaks in fully formed prose. It's, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous. But yeah, I mean, f- for anybody listening now and, and wondering if that's genuinely how how he speaks yeah it's 100 <laughs> percent completely unedited <laughs> sure and talk to us about talk to us about your book tell us about your book tell us about the idea and uh give us a brief summary well well let me just say first on that last thing like like uh, that i also have to kind of credit the church with and like my time there because i i was that kid in in like english oral classes back in back in school who was terrified absolutely terrified i was i was a real introvert I, I was scared of being judged and I thought English orals, like standing up at a lectern, and gripping it, mumbling through some paper on volcanoes that I'd thrown together from an encyclopedia in the library. 
Like I just used to stare at the page and mumble through it as quick as possible and then sit down like bright red in the face. Uh, when I started, when I got to the end of my high school years and I, I did uh, a gap year with the church and then went off to seminary to study. Well, I, I did a degree in psychology first, finished that up and then went off to seminary to study and be ordained. I suddenly realized like a big part, I, I don't know why I haven't put two and two together, but I suddenly realized part of working for the church is going to be standing up and talking to a lot of people. Like I'd kind of <laughs> forgotten that, you know, <laughs> and I knew like I, I hate it. I'm not very good at it and I'm terrified by it, but we had these homiletics classes, which is just it's just a fancy word for preaching classes, where right. we'd have to stand up. And I like if it was my turn that week, I would have to deliver a 45-minute message. And then we'd have a break. And then we'd come back. And for the second 45 minutes, the rest of the class and the teacher would shred everything you've just done. So you hold your hands weird. You, you, the way you talk is odd. I didn't believe that story. You talk too fast. Whatever it is, they would shred everything you just did. And I remember coming home after that first class, just going, "I want to quit, man." I, I, I'm I, because I got laid into by people. It sounds who, brutal. It's because it's, it's you, right? That those are your yeah. verbal tics. Those are your mannerisms. And to have someone go, "By the way, your hands look weird when you talk." Like that's yeah. got to be horrible to hear. But there's no better way to get better yeah, at communicating. I, I and yeah. I think what happened was is is you know I just this I had to make a decision. Um, and I do talk about this in the book, actually, Paul talk about the book. He's like, um, I had to make a decision about, okay, well, what's important? Is it, is it protecting myself from what admittedly is a terrifying situation for a lot of people? Or am I going to push through this and get better at it because I think I can do more good than me protecting my ego? And I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this the best crack I can. And I worked really hard to get good at it. And I, and I did. Over those years, I got much better at telling stories, talking to people live um, and communicating well. And I think that's definitely something I've carried through. And I don't think my, I know my YouTube channel would definitely not have the tone it does were it not for that 10 years in the church. So it's all kind of connected. I mean, my wife used to joke that the only reason I started the YouTube channel was because I wanted to find a way to keep preaching. And she's not entirely wrong, you know, that's yeah, I hear it's it. definitely part of it, you know. Oh, well, I, I imagine if you lost... I mean, a massive community of people that you were close to and around. Then all of a sudden you went to a career that's kind of the polar opposite, really, as a photographer, you're almost mm. on your own from the start. I mean, you get help along the way, but it is kind of an isolated career, yeah. isn't it, as a photographer? So, I mean, the YouTube channel almost feels like it was meant to be, right? It was, it was always coming. <laughs> It was. I mean, and you know what? If you took it away today and I, you took away photography, I'd find another way to keep talking about this stuff because it's important to me. It's the most important thing I do, you know, and, and the, I, I don't really care how I package it. So if you keep burning the packages, I'll keep finding new, new stuff to put around it and keep going because it's important, you know. I, I think yeah. it is. I think it is important. And you found another package for it in The Meaning in the Making, this new book you've just written. Mm. So the date is currently the 22nd of July and we've, we've not had a chance to get our hands on, on the book yet. By the things that you've said on your YouTube channel and on your Instagram and that kind of stuff, it, it, it feels like this book is, is not a photo book. It feels like this is a philosophy book. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, there's no photography in this at all. Um, it's, it's, and it's, I'm only using photography, my own photography in the book as an example of something that I learned if I ever even talk about it. So the, the idea with the book was, is to take the kind of philosophical playlist that I have on my YouTube channel 
the kind of uh, the stuff that applies to anybody and to turn it into a book that I could then fill with my own stories, how I came to those things and a bunch of extra uh, stuff as well, obviously, and sort of really flesh out what are the things that I use day to day to keep me mentally healthy and motivated while I'm making things, whether that's taking photographs or shooting films or writing books or whatever it happens to be. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of my story. It's a lot of, uh, the stuff that I've learned along the way. It's a lot of, you know, sharing things I've learned from minds much greater than mine, but that might be philosophers. It might be psychologists, um, and kind of trying to weave it all together in a way that it's, it's super practical. Cause I think when people say like, is it a, is it a creative philosophy? Yes, it is. But, but I think when people hear the word philosophy, they think it's like, ivory tower thinking and it goes above everyone's head that's not at all what i've done i've tried to make it because i think that's bad philosophy personally i think good philosophy should be gritty and earthy and really answer the day-to-day stuff that that, because if it doesn't speak to the the real problems i'm facing and i can't apply it easily it's pretty useless it's just a it's just an emotional wank at the end of the day which i'm not really interested in i want it to be um really grounded so i work quite hard to sort of to be as honest as possible about my journey where I've messed up and where I've got things right and, and everything in between and the things that have kind of helped. And and I'm not suggesting at all that like, you know, I've got it all together, but this, what I'm proud the most of, I think is at this point in my journey, this is exactly what I think. And I've got it down on, on paper in a book, which almost becomes like a, it becomes like a milestone at this point in my life. This is what this human being thought worked the best. And I, I buy all of it. And, I, and I'm most excited about the fact that I think it can help a lot of other people because I know there's stuff in there that... This is the book I wish I could have read 15 years ago because it would have saved me a lot of heartache. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. So in that way, I, can, I guess I'm kind of almost still... I'm almost still the pastor or the youth worker who's trying to sort of pass stuff back that helps people make sense of their lives as they're coming down the same road that might save them some trouble, you know? I'm actually really looking forward to getting my hands on it, to be honest with you. From the, I think you read a whole chapter or maybe part of a chapter on, on one yeah, of your the videos. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it's got some of the common chest beating kind of rhetoric you, you sometimes read in some of these creative things where you're sort of being told what to do as if that person, they've got it all figured out. You know, it, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like it's going to have a different tone to, to one we might have heard before. So I, I I think this will be this is something the creative community, not just photographers, are probably going to latch onto. I hope so. I mean, you never know, do you? I mean, I I, I was saying too because I was just next door at the neighbours having a barbecue before I ran back for this. But it was just because they were so I had like fifty advanced copies in a box. So I handed it. My, my neighbour is the painter. She sits at home. She paints landscapes. So I, I snuck her a copy and said, "Here, do you want to have a look?" And she she blasted through it in a few nights. And she's, she's so enthusiastic about it and excited. And it's lovely to get a bit of, a bit of feedback. And, um, I said, it's such a weird experience because I finished writing this in January. So it's, I, I finished it and then, and then my life completely fell apart and everything went really pear shaped quite fast. <laughs> and now it's July and I'm like, Oh yeah, I wrote a book and now I'm waiting for everyone to read it. It's almost like I'm having to remind myself this happened, but that's getting me excited for, Oh my gosh, yeah, all this stuff I put in there. I can't wait for people to read it. I can't wait mm. for people to get their hands on it. And, and like I said, my hope is that uh, 
It will connect. I have no idea. I have no idea. Everyone could go like, oh, we don't get it at all. Or it could be a New York Times bestseller. And, and I, I don't know. And actually, that's completely outside my control. But if it helps a bunch of people, however many that bunch is, I'm, I'm super happy and job done. And, and even just for me, that's the thing is like, no one's really read it yet, but I'm super satisfied already. Even if no one read it now, even if it was just my neighbor who loves it, I'm really still glad I wrote it because I put down what I thought. And that was a brilliant exercise just for me, uh, just to for myself, to paper. kind of, yeah, to mark it in the sand, you know? Yeah. I think there'll be like a healthy buzz about this book. I, mm. I just get the impression that it's, it's going to strike a chord with people because I think you've laid some things out in a way that maybe some people haven't really considered, particularly if they're coming at this from a kind of creative perspective where they maybe haven't thought about some of these ideas before. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like we take it for granted that like obviously you've had a, a spiritual past and, 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 you know, people like me and Paul might do a lot of thinking about that kind of stuff. And maybe we do a little bit of meditation and that kind of thing. But I honestly think a, a lot of people just aren't thinking about this stuff. This will be huge for a lot of people, I reckon. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers crossed, man. This is kind of putting you on the spot. But I reckon it, if, if you read this back in five years, do you, do you think there'll be anything in there that you may have changed your mind about? Oh, I hope so. Gosh, how tragic if I just got stuck in that one. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope I keep growing. <laughs> Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, everything in there, I, I, I buy a hundred percent, but it's the same. I mean, it's not the first book I've written. I wrote a book 10 years ago when I left the church about my story with the church and why I was leaving, um, which I self published back in South Africa. Um, and you know, I look back at that book now and, and I, you know, everything I wrote there at the time, I absolutely believed. Um, and I was also trying to be a little bit strategic in that I knew I was writing it to the church. So I needed to talk their language a little bit to get past their filters. But even though that I believed that at the time and I stood by it at the time, it's not what I think now. I've, I've moved a long way and I've, I've grown up a lot since then. But I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anyone who writes anything who, who wouldn't do it differently 20 years down the road, you know. But yeah, for now, today... 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't be happier. And, I, and you know, it's strange. I think it's an exercise everyone should do, actually. It's just to sit and write down, what do you think about X, Y, Z? You know, just start journaling about it. What, what do you believe about the creative process? What do you believe about relationships? What do you believe about what friendship should be? Whatever it might be, just write that down. It's a really good exercise to put down on paper what you believe about something because it kind of externalizes it. And you'll be able to see the good stuff in it and the holes in it that you'll be able to work on for the next stage as well. And I feel like everything I put down now, I'm not, and I'm, I'm glad you picked up. I'm not trying to talk like an expert, like I have everything together because I definitely don't, but this is where I'm at today. This is the stuff that's really helped, but I've left the door wide open for whatever comes next. Cause I know there's still a ton more that I, I will learn hopefully until my last day. You know? Did you have any formal training with things like writing? No, no. No, I, I, that was an interesting one because writing um, writing's probably something most people think they can do. And I think I fell into that trap as well. I'm like, well, you just, you just write stuff down. But the minute I started writing, I think I started to try, I, I tried to write like I talk. And I realized there's, a, there's obviously a massive difference between writing a book and writing a YouTube script. There's a huge difference. Um, and you don't think about all that stuff beforehand, but the, the more I went through, I'm like, how do you, how do you maintain your voice? 
the, the way you think and the way uh, people are familiar with you talking, because at the end of the day, um, it's at least going to start with me selling this book to my audience who already know who I am so that it feels consistent with that, but also so that it reads like a good book um, is, is, was quite a challenge. That was really interesting. Um, and thankfully you go through things with, I mean, because I'm going through a publisher, there was lots of kind of assistance for that. So uh, there's kind of rounds of things. Every time I finished a, a batch of four chapters, I would fire those off to the publisher who would then send back some notes about how it's reading with them. Then when you've got everything together, it then gets sent to a copy editor who reads through the whole thing with a fine-tooth comb and basically marks your work like with a red pen like teachers in school. And I thought like... I Did that remind you a little bit of, um, of of when you were being marked for your public speaking? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, because I thought like, what's she going to find in this? It's going to be it's going to be pretty good. Like there's, there's going to be many mistakes at this stage. It was just full of mistakes I had red pen up, everywhere absolutely but she was a hundred percent right on anything like it tightened the book up so much um and I, I almost cringed to think what would have gone out now had she not helped to kind of really tighten that up so that was brilliant then it gets put in the layout and then it goes to a proof editor who then goes through a separate person who goes through again with a fine-tooth comb looking for any grammatical or spelling stuff so it goes through all these stages with this kind of assistance to kind of get you to a place where it, it maintains and sort of retains your voice, but it's, it's tight. It's, it's accurate, which is, which has been really good. Yeah, it's been interesting because it's the first time I've gone through a publisher for something like this. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I, I was impressed when you read the intro, there was lots of really, really nice descriptions when you were talking about being a kid and sort of staring up at the sky and that kind of stuff. And oh, cool. I, I was really impressed. It was almost poetic. Do you know what I mean? Does that make oh, sense? Cool. I'll take it. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Where do you think ideas come from? I do talk about this a bit in the book. Um, so I've got a chapter in the book called Breathe. Uh, and the analogy I use in the book is um, that I used to do, uh, I used to play in bands and sing. So, so, And I went to a vocal coach for a while. In fact, on this gap year, I took, we were all kind of singers in this group. And one of the exercises they made us do it was horrendous. It, used to, it basically would take a block of wood, uh, probably like, I don't know, 10 centimeters by 20 centimeters or something. And you'd have to place it just underneath where your rib cage converges at your sternum. You'd have to place it just underneath there where your diaphragm is. And if you breathe in and you, you place, if you're listening, you can do this. If you just place your fingers like underneath your sternum there, sort of in that gap, and you breathe in. I'll do it right now. Yeah. Me too. You could feel that muscle expand outwards when you breathe in. Can you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's your diaphragm, which, which like as you breathe in, it basically what it does is muscle that, so if you've got your lungs up here and you've got your, your diaphragm is kind of curved underneath, but as you breathe in, it flattens out and expands and it creates a vacuum and sucks your lungs into that vacuum and that draws air in. And the teacher was trying to make this example of like, you know, because I, my voice used to crack like terribly as a teenager. Um, all the time, but I had to sing. So there's nothing more embarrassing than voice cracking in the middle of a song. And he said to me, like, you know, the, the, the problem isn't that your voice is cracking. The problem is you're not supporting the note that you're singing with enough air. You have to breathe in properly and fill your lungs with that air. So that kind of stuck with me as like, as a metaphor for creativity. So I think so many people get really frustrated. Like, I don't have anything to say. I don't have any ideas. I'm not sure what project to do next. I don't know where to go. But it's like trying to sing a note without taking a breath in first. So we were talking earlier about 
how do you how do you refresh or your your meditation practice or me going for walks for me that's the in breath it's stuff like making space for myself like a genderless space where i'm not going in to ask for something or get something i'm just going in there to be and let my mind process that's one and then two it's consuming other people's like creativity so it's watching films it's reading books it's it's sinking into other people's photography it's filling myself with that the whole time and just taking in as much as i can i think those two things when you take in as much art as you can in whatever medium and then you create space for yourself in in your world i think then your voice can start to come out uh as as you know through the filter that is you so and that'll include you know your personality type and your your the, the the story you've lived up to now the things that you really care about it all kind of gets shaped through this thing with that creative in breath and then as you start to push it out through your voice i think that's where ideas come from but the mistake we make is that we don't create that space before we try and make things or around us making things we just we just get anxious about it. i need an idea i need an idea and the longer we say that the less ideas are going to come we just frustrate ourselves it's it's got to be a constant ongoing practice of making that space and I, i talked a little bit about um the muses in the book and this idea about so the word inspiration for example which again inspiration is is in breath respiration inspiration it's all breathing stuff we're talking about so when we go back to like the latin of that word like the root of that word inspiration it was actually talking about a divine in breath as in breathed into by the divine being given gifts whether you you know you 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 believe in christianity or you believe in like the greek pantheon of the muses who breathe into you ideas or you're an artist who just likes to be around a particular person who you consider to be your muse because you feel inspired by them that's that creative in breath it's being it's filling yourself the whole time and creating that space before we come to make things and demand ideas if we don't make that space they can't come you know that was a ridiculously beautiful description and cool. probably the most on the nose description of think i've ever heard of anyone sort of explaining where ideas come from cool I don't think I've ever really thought about it quite that way about sort of that supporting movement at the beginning, mm-hmm. sort of preparing your diaphragm and, and, and making the space. You think ideas come from the doing as well. So you, 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 you know, you, you'll have an idea and you're in the mm-hmm. idea, but then, you know, for me, it, it's, I, I need a tiny spark and, and something will inspire me. And then I'm, I feel like I'm constantly refining the idea as, as I'm, working through the project you know and it, it it keeps i hopefully improving or sometimes not <laughs> but I, I i do like you know I, I i get what you say about having the space to breathe to form the ideas and i think that comes maybe that comes while you're walking with the camera too right that that can happen yeah. in that process in that process and and i think being out and open to the world it, it, in a space, you, you kind of, I always find that like, and also leaving, you know, I, I'm, I'm Dan knows this and you probably know this as well. I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at starting a project and then terrible at finishing it. Right. I always get to a point where I feel, okay, A, I'm not comfortable with what I've, I've produced. B, maybe I'm anxious about putting it out to the world because I don't think it's that good. You know, and, and maybe so the, the other side, isn't it? So yeah. it's the first thing of like having the idea in the first place. And then, 
at the other end of it, it's having the belief in your idea that you already had. Yeah. I feel like Paul though, like I've seen you work and you always seem quite inspired by ideas. So it's almost like a snowball with you. <laughs> like you have one, it might be a gem of an idea at the beginning and then you kind of, that gem of an idea just sort of snowballs up and snowballs up and you're like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then you're almost motivated by the fact that you had that kind of win at the beginning. Yes, yeah. And I, and I like it that it, it's not static, that it, it it changes. But I suppose the point is always like, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's, it's, but I was going to say is that, I, so, so I, sorry, that I, I, so you get to a point where, you know, you've, you've been done this project for maybe X amount of years and you get to a point where, okay, I'm, I'm going to put this in a zine or a book or what, whatever format you decide to show your work creatively. Um, and I don't know, there's, there's, there's this point of, because, I don't know. I don't know what it is yet, but I, 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 I think there's something that stops me. I think, and and I don't know what that is yet. I don't, uh, and maybe that's because I'm quite, you know, I, you know, that's. I'll, I'll, sorry, I, I know I'm going off on tangents here, but that street bug I showed you, Sean, ages ago, and you helped me sort the pictures out, and um, you've seen it as well, Dan. And I, 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 I've talked about this a few times, but I always felt with with street photography that, and since we've been doing the podcast. I think it's definitely confirmed that is that um, it always felt that it wasn't really me. And I was, I was almost I like I've getting inspiration from Instagram or from the online or from books, but then I was going out and trying maybe not to shoot like other people, but those, those pictures were in my brain and you kind of, it, it's, it's, you know, you get all of these influences from lots of different places. And when you go back and look at it later on, you think, oh, my God, actually, I was shooting like X, Y or Z. And it's, it wasn't me and it never felt truly like it was me. But then then I come away from it and I leave it like I just put it to bed and I don't look at it maybe for a year or two. And when I when I was I was showing it to my wife last night and she's going, why, why have you not done anything with this work? It's beautiful. And I, I said, yeah, but you're my wife. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I suppose, uh, yeah, I, 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 for me, I think, and we've hit it on it a couple of times, Dan. It, it's people are going to have their impressions of the work, whatever. Like, I can't dictate what other people are going to think when I present the finalized body of work. But for me, it's always I want. I wanted this, the first piece of work that I present to the work to have some depth and some meaning. And I suppose I always struggle to find maybe that in street photography, just before, because of the, the pure way that street photography is set up. It's, it's very candid. And I think, I think photos have more meaning when, when there's more of a conversation, when you're, when you, when you meet people. So the Wondle project, for instance, it's just been different. It's just been a completely different way of thinking about work and it's not it's not a it's not a massive jump but but stopping and speaking to people having those conversations learning about their lives taking in those conversations and then it feels it feels more like me where street photography always felt like it was slightly it felt slightly wrong it felt slightly dirty and i, and I know it doesn't and i know that's kind of bullshit but in, in a way i think if you look at the the whole world of photography street photography is slightly frowned upon it is you know for, I, i've spoken to other photographers and 
sometimes they label you a street photographer. I think the thing is, Paul, though, like you always label yourself as a photographer. And we've had this conversation a few times, I think, on the podcast, but I'm I'm still not convinced that you're a photographer. You always strike me as more of a, just, just an artist. You're forever doing stuff that isn't photography. You collage, you, you sort of, you have all these ideas. You were saying that the first creative stuff you did with photography was you, you buried a portrait for like three months. I've, I've seen you burning prints. Like those aren't things photographers do, Paul. I'm, I'm not convinced that you're. That's what lunatics do, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? It's interesting, but I, the idea of burning a photograph has been quite fun. You know, you, you, it, 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 and, I, and I was thinking about why, why were, why am I like, why have I just started burning photos? <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I think this, I, 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 it, I was, I was, I didn't get to an answer, but I think it's something about the idea that it feels like sometimes photos are so perfect and so, you know, and this idea of it, it's. And it's not true, right? It's none of it is true, really. In in a way, like it's all objective, subjective. I always get that confused. Um, but but you know, it's it's not true. And I kind of like. I think the the longer that I do it, and the longer that I I spend as a photographer, the, the more I just see the photo as a piece of the work. It's not the final bit. It, it's something that is in the process, but it's not the end result, if that makes sense. You know, it, it's, and the more, the more I do it, the more, yeah, collaging and painting on top of pictures and all of that thing, all of those things, which are, um, they're new, but they're, they're exciting to me. They kind of make me, and I, you know, I, they make me want to carry on, I think, because, you know, I think we must all hit phases with our work where we get a bit bored or we get a bit fed up or we think we're shooting the same thing or, and I, I like that idea of, to stay creative that by changing, by experimenting, by doing things that you wouldn't normally do with a photo or a piece of work is, is kind of what makes it exciting. And I, and I, for me, you're right. Well, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm, I don't think it matters like labels. I don't think it matters at all, but uh, in, in a sense, I think just, just creating, just experimenting, not putting boundaries upon yourself that, you know, you can't do this or you shouldn't do this. I, I really want to try screen printing. I'm, I'm kind of excited about going on a little screen printing course I put myself. Because I just like that idea of, of uh, maybe mixed media, of mixing the photographs yeah. with other things. I think, and I'm awful at it at the moment, but, you know, I think the more I do it, the better I get. And, and, and that's the idea. And I don't have to show it to anybody, maybe only you. And you go, what have you been doing for the last three weeks, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always excited. I'm always excited when I receive a text and I sort of get that that nice little buzz of energy where you're like, check this out, I've been doing this thing. I'm I'm burning Polaroids in the forest or whatever it is you're doing. Burning Polaroids. I was. This old woman walked past and I was and a lighter and I was putting sheep. What are you doing, love? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm not gonna start a fight, I promise, I promise. <laughs> But you said something earlier about like, you know, sometimes you have to actually go out to get the inspiration. And I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I don't, because the danger with what I was saying earlier is that you can just sit at home on a couch, uh, taking all the space you want for yourself and reading photography books and going, well, until the perfect idea drops to my lap, I'm not picking up my camera. But I really believe you have to work your way into inspiration. You can't wait for the perfect idea to hit before you pick up the camera. You have to Fill your fill your space as much as possible. Fill your fill your creative juices. Get them going. 
create that space to think and pick up the camera and go out and then see what happens and work your way into it because you only work out which direction to go like one crappy photo at a time, you know, and after you've taken a thousand, you might go, okay, this one suggests there might be a direction in it. So there is a lot of work to do after you sort of have created that space. Definitely doesn't stop there. So I I absolutely agree with you. hundred percent right. You've got to work your way in. You can't Mm. just sit at home waiting for it to strike you. You've got to be loose enough as well, right? When you do Mm. it, you've got to be open to the ideas as they hit you and not try and immediately censor yourself. Mm. I know I'm terrible for that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I got a a nice question for you, Sean. What's a a tiny thing that brings you great joy? Tiny, red licorice. (laughs) You know, I I, I was thinking today, uh, go go in, go in to the empty the bins and realizing the wife has done it. (laughs) Oh, I mean, what a joy. There you go. Oh, bless you. Uh, the small things, eh? Little things, yeah. <laughs> Little things. That is good. I like that. <laughs> Does that happen often, Paul? Like, surely, no, really, mate. Really, it's like you once, once a year. If I'm lucky. If she knew how happy it made you, though, <laughs> I know, I of course she'll hear it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. She'll never ever do the bins again. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, Sorry. right. I think that might be a, a good point to, to move on to our shout-outs for the day. At the end of every episode, we, we, we like to give um, another creative or, or a project that someone's working on uh, a bit of a shout-out. Has anyone got one that, that they want to go first? I got one. I got you got one. one. I got Promise one. Depends. So this week, it's a book by a lady called Irina Rozovsky, and the book is called In Plain Air. And um, it's set in Prospect Park in, Bro- in Brooklyn. And it's uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful work. Um, I think it might have won a book of the year. I'm not sure if it did, but I think it's had a lot of good good press. Um, it's from our very good friend. Go on, Dan. You don't even know where I got the book from, don't you? Fire Book Junkies. Way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really beautiful. I, it's just all... I can only... How do I describe it? It's like... It's almost like she's there, but she's not there, if it makes sense. There's these wonderful, it's taken between 2011 and 2021, so 10 years of photographs. I, I watched a video on a speak before um, I came on air, and um, she she said she tried, so like, there's lots of photos where you think she must have asked the people if she can take a picture, um, but she said the way she did it was she'd go in really gently and say, excuse me, I'm the and then she would basically let, if the people were started acting up, she would say, no, no, and she'd walk away. And then she'd come back again. And she'd, then she'd ask them really quietly. And so basically, the, and they would, and if, honestly, if you look at the images, like it's, it's, that, it's that, that, that gap between, I suppose, candid street photography and w- that documentary where you're stopping and asking people. But right. yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. It's really... It have, I mean, obviously, I've not seen it yet. Do, do these portraits have that thing we spoke about before where you can see they're kind of in that other place, you know? Yeah, like where yeah, they, yeah, yeah. The, the, the people, the they... Absolutely. You can tell by the look in their eyes. Oh, okay. I love, yeah. I love portraits like that where you can yeah. sort of see that people were not in their own head. I, I don't really know the way to describe this. It's, it is. It is in their own head, though. It's they're, they're, they're in the world, and maybe they're you know there's there's a great picture 
of three Muslim women fishing with sticks in, in Prospect Park Lake. Right. And, and they're present, but they're not present with the fishing. They're present in their thoughts, if you know what I mean. It, right. And it, yeah, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful book. Wonderful. Okay. In plain air, Irina Rodzovsky. She's, um, I think she's, she lives in Greece, but she's, she sounds like she was Australian. I'm not going to do my Aussie accent again. All right, yeah. Now. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the only accent you can do well is the Welsh one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes you're too kind. <laughs> did you subject, I can't remember, did you subject Jason two weeks ago? Did you subject him to your New York accent? I don't, I don't, I I don't think you needed I, I to hope, hear that. Hopefully did I didn't. I can't remember. I'm, I'm in the process of editing that now. You haven't done it yet, but, um, but yeah, maybe you did. I don't know. I really can't remember. Um, uh, hopefully not. <laughs> Sean, did you have one? Do you want to, do you want to go next, mate? Or? Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a photographer that someone just pointed out to me this, this week, actually. Someone uh, I'm embarrassed to say I never heard of. Um, he's a Spanish photographer. I think he's, I think he's in his 90s now. His name is uh, Ramon Massats, R-A-M-O-N-M-A-S-A-T-S. He's got some beautiful, beautiful shots of, of uh, Madrid in the 50s, um, and especially stuff around um, sort of the bullfighting culture as well. If you, usually if you Google his name, you'll get you, the, one of the first images that pops up is this amazing shot of monks playing soccer and this monk diving to knock the ball out of the way. There's, mm. there's some really incredible stuff in there, and, and I'd never heard of it. He was amazing. And then maybe just someone on Instagram I could I could recommend as well as uh, um, I actually was down in London last week filming a video with her, but she's a French photographer who takes some really beautiful, um, intimate photos of her and her partner that don't sort of stray into like overtly sexual for sort of being titillating sake, but it's like really kind of there. I, I think there she's got some really beautiful stuff, and her name is Tiffany Robert. Um, uh, Robert is R-O-U-B-E-R-T so at Tiffany Robert on Instagram so those two are, are two really good photographers to take a look at as well um, nice. I think a, a, a contemporary one and an older one nice some solid picks there. I'm definitely going to check those out my pick this week is a really old one that I just didn't realise I'm really late to the party on this so I was going through sort of some not, top... Uh, it's not Henry Cardia Bresson, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the decisive <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, no, it, it's, a, it's an album, it's a, it's a record. Um, I was going through some sort of the, the top 100 best records of all time because there's so many records that I've never listened to. I listen to a lot of music, but there's, there's still a lot to explore. And there's this one that kept coming up. The record's called A Storm in Heaven. It's by The Verve. Now, I thought I knew what The Verve sounded like. Good record. But, I I did not know that this sounded anything like it's amazing. It's a good record. It's a really, really, really bloody good record. Mm -hmm. So I know it's from nineteen ninety two, nineteen ninety three, something like that. Um but yeah, I mean I anybody that hasn't listened to it. I was gutted when that brand broke up. Heartbreaking. They would have been probably the best band ever. I I I can well believe it. I, I think that was probably just a little bit before my time. And the stuff I heard was the kind of the stuff that was big on top of the pops. And I, I didn't dislike it, but I, I just didn't really care. But now I'm going back through the back catalog and they were gonna, fucking really good. I'm going to throw one last one at you. I heard it on the radio today. Have you, have you heard the squids, Dan? 
I have heard the squids. Pamphlets. Have you heard that song? Oh I don't know if I've heard that one song. It came on the radio today and I thought, oh my God, Dan will love that. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I do know it. Uh, yeah. I, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, I, it was good. It was, I thought it was, like, I don't, I, you know, his voice is kind of, um, but it's good. It's good. You know, if you like that kind of dark shit that you like, Dan, it was good. They're, they're really British, aren't they? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, should go and listen to bands like King Crawl and stuff. Like all these really great British musicians that just, I don't know, there's like bits of The Clash, they're kind of jazzy. Like they're just, there's a lot of really cool British music out there. If, if you just, just look a little, yeah, really good stuff. Nice. Um, oh, do you want to air? Uh, oh, do I, I'm, I'm going to do the eight row. This is, this is tricky for me, Dan. Um, as always, details and links for Sean's work and everything we spoke about today are in the show notes. If you're not already, please go and follow us on Instagram, um, Idle Hand Society, Dan, right? That's right, Idle Hand Society. If you choose to buy anything from Amazon, you can use our link and then we'll contribute a little bit towards Daniel's beer money. Um, tune in again next Friday when we'll be releasing a new episode. I think that's it, mate. Um, have a lovely, lovely week. Before we sign off. On. Where, where can people find you on online, Mr. Tucker? Where, where do you reside? Where's the best place to find you? Where is uh, me online? <laughs> um, uh, just uh, at Sean Tuck, S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, if you're interested in the book, just throw the meaning and the making into Amazon or Waterstones or Barnes & Noble or Foils, wherever you buy books, I'm sure it'll be there. When is it released, Sean? When is it actually... August 10th. It comes out August 10th. So uh, all ebooks will be definitely delivered on that day. US and Canada will get after a little bit of a delay for UK and Europe shipping. So that my book, physical books might only arrive early September, but they are on their way. Fantastic. Excited. Can't wait to yeah. have a little read, but. <laughs> cool. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I think that's it. We're there. We landed the ship. Thank you, everyone. Catch you in two weeks.